0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Zohar Chamberlain-Regev, Shabnam Mayat, and Wendy Goldsmith about the Women's Boat to Gaza campaign. Organizing in solidarity with the struggle against the occupation of Palestine, can be found in all corners of the globe, including Canada. In the last decade or two, the movement in Palestine and solidarity movements globally have had increasing success in raising awareness that the occupation is not only colonial in character and a violation of international law, but that its implementation bears substantial political resemblance to the apartheid policies of pre-1994 South Africa. A particularly brutal facet of the occupation over the last ten years has been the treatment by the Israeli state of the occupied Gaza Strip, which has been under siege since 2007 when its people elected the Hamas Party. Described by Independent Jewish Voices Canada as, quote, a microcosm of many forces of global injustice, end quote, in part this treatment of Gaza by the Israeli state has included severe restrictions on all goods and people entering and leaving, which has created a massive, ongoing, and entirely preventable humanitarian disaster, as well as four major military assaults by the Israeli state over the intervening years on what is one of the most densely populated civilian areas on the planet. Under the rule of the conservative government of Stephen Harper, the Canadian state became one of the most vocal supporters in the world of the colonial occupation of Palestine. Though there is hope among activists that the Liberals under Justin Trudeau might be convinced to alter this stance, the Liberal Party did vote recently to support a conservative motion in Parliament condemning Canadians who advocate for the Global Boycott divestment and Sanctions or BDS campaign, a nonviolent global solidarity campaign called for by a broad cross-section of Palestinian civil society groups in 2005 and modeled on the successful campaign against South African apartheid in earlier decades. Another key campaign by international solidarity organizers, in this case specifically in response to the Israeli siege of Gaza, has been repeated attempts to break the blockade. An ongoing international campaign emerged in 2010 under the banner of the Freedom Flotilla Coalition, which has made repeated efforts, mostly by sea, to bring humanitarian goods into Gaza. Mostly they have been stopped by the Israeli military, which on at least one occasion killed multiple nonviolent activists who were involved. The latest initiative in the Freedom Flotilla Campaign is being launched this week on a global basis in honor of International Women's Day. Networks of women in countries around the world, in tight consultation with women's organizations in Palestine, are collaborating to send a women's boat to Gaza. They aim to challenge the siege, to contribute to the growing global awareness of and opposition to the occupation, and to highlight the important role played by women in all facets of struggle. Zohar Chamberlain Regev is an Israeli citizen who has lived in Spain for the last 10 years and who has participated in the coordination of the Spanish component of the Freedom Flotilla work since 2012. Currently, she coordinates the Women's Boat to Gaza Steering Committee. Shabna Mayat is a South African human rights lawyer and a member of the Muslim Lawyers Association, and she is currently coordinating the South African Women's Boat to Gaza campaign. And Wendy Goldsmith has been a steering committee member for the Canadian Boat to Gaza campaign since 2010, and she's one of the Canadian representatives at both the Freedom Flotilla Coalition and the Women's Boat to Gaza campaign. They speak with me about the context of the occupation of Palestine, its apartheid character, and the siege of Gaza, about the overall campaign to break the siege, about the Women's Boat to Gaza campaign, and about the specifically Canadian aspects of this issue, both the Canadian state's complicity in the occupation, and the work that solidarity activists in Canada are doing. We spoke by Skype from Southern Spain, Johannesburg, South Africa, and London, Ontario.
1: My name's Wendy Goldsmith. I live in London, Ontario, Canada. I'm a social worker, a mother of three, and I've also been working with the Canada Boat to Gaza project since 2010, and am now a steering committee member of the Canada Boat to Gaza project, which is part of the International Freedom Flotilla Coalition. I'm part of the media committee, and we're going to be sending a boat, hopefully in the fall, towards Gaza.
2: My name is Zohar. I'm an Israeli citizen, but I've been living in Spain for the last 10 years. And I participated in the coordination of the Spanish campaign, which is called Rumba Gaza, since 2012. I'm currently the coordinator of the Women's Boats to Gaza Steering Committee. My name is Shabna Mayat. I'm from Johannesburg, South Africa.
3: I'm an advocate. I basically work in human rights law. I'm part of the Muslim Lawyers Association, which basically does cases against Israel and other international cases. And I'm part of the Women's Vote to Gaza campaign in South Africa. And on the international committee, I assist with the delegates.
2: So a brief introduction to What we call sometimes the Israeli-Palestinian conflict But it's actually not a conflict It's a situation of occupation And it's been going on for nearly 70 years If you take into account that it all started in 1948 With the creation of the State of Israel But of course the situation changes after 1967 When the West Bank and the Gaza Strip are occupied And put under military occupation Because the territories occupied in 48 were actually included in what is the state of Israel and the Palestinians there are Israeli citizens as well. But the ones in the Gaza Strip in the West Bank are still under military control and they don't have any citizenship or rights to vote. The current situation after so many years of occupation is that the Palestinian people are resisting and the Israelis claim that they have to defend themselves by increasing the oppression. The situation in the West Bank is mostly the restriction of movement with the wall, with the checkpoints, the continuous harassment with nightly searches in the houses and administrative detention of whoever is considered by the occupation to be a threat, whether or not they're really one. And there is the situation of the Area C, which is under Israeli control. And there we have demolition of houses and people who are really the poorest of the poor who have been taken off their land. With the Gaza Strip, it's different because since 2005, there are no settlements there. The Israeli disengagement have left the Gaza Strip prone to the sort of blockade situation that we've seen for the last decade, which very much restricts all movement of people and goods from within Gaza and into Gaza what we call a collective punishment, because it was actually a response to the Hamas winning the elections in 2006. And it, it's really affecting all life in the Gaza Strip. Of course, we had quite a few massive attacks with thousands of deaths and tens of thousands of internally displaced people in this time. The blockade really means that Gaza is closed by sea, by land, and by air. The airport was destroyed in 2008-2009 in the Lead operation.
0: Operation Lead was the name of one of the Israeli military assaults on Gaza, the one that happened in 2008-2009.
2: And then, of course, the port of Gaza is not a real port, but it's also closed, and even though in the Oslo Accords
0: Uh, The Oslo Accords were the agreements signed in the 1990s. Some hoped that they would bring peace, though others argued from the beginning that they were deeply flawed.
2: Even though in the Oslo Accords it was decided that it had to be developed as a commercial port, it never done. And with the land, it's the same thing. The Egyptians, after their coup, closed the border, they destroyed all the tunnels, which was the way for the Palestinians to bring things in and out while the Israelis blocked all the other border passing. And, of course, in the Oslo Accords, there were also safe passages between the West Bank and Gaza, and these were closed in 2001. So it was really never put into practice. Any person who needs to go out for medical treatment or for studies really needs to struggle in order to receive a permit. So this is the situation people live in. It's lack of hope, it's lack of possibilities to reconstruct after the great destruction of the last attack in the summer 2014. And this is where we come in trying to raise awareness of this situation and really make our governments do something about it.
3: When we consider the Zionist occupation of Israel, we look at three distinct pillars which are similar to apartheid South Africa. The first one being the demarcation of the population into racial groups. So South Africa had an official racial ID for the state, which was white. Similarly, Israel has an official ID for the state, which is Jewish. In South Africa, everyone was assigned a racial group. You are either black, white, Indian, or colored. Similarly, in Israel, you are either Arab, Jews, Jewish, etc., And then there were laws to back up these things. So in South Africa, we had the Population Registration Act of 1950, and then the Bantu Education Act, which specifically legislated how black South Africans went through the education system. And then Israel has laws like the right of return law. The second way is you look at the segregation of the population into geographic areas. So apart from South Africa denying black South Africans the right to self-determination, you look at forcibly separating white people and black people on the grounds of their identity. Israel has done that between, you know, Jews and Palestinians. In South Africa, blacks were confined to special zones, ghettos, bantustans. That's not very different to what's happening in Palestine at the moment. And then again, when we look at the laws that allowed this in South Africa in the 60s, there was the Group Areas Act, which basically decided which race lived where. And then the Native Amendment Act. And then when we look at Israel, you know, when, when we look at means taken to separate population groups, we look at issues like the wall, the system of roads, permits, which are very similar to South Africa's old pass laws, ID systems. And then the last thing is the draconian security laws and policies. South Africa basically did this by implementing very serious and draconian security laws, which basically suppressed any opposition to the government. So there was censorship, there was torture, arbitrary detentions, there was assassinations, and of course many of these are similar to what happens in Israel. But South Africa was never the issue of collective punishment. There were never so many child prisoners open use of chemical weapons, as we saw in Operation Car and this deliberately manufactured humanitarian crisis, as well as aerial bombardment, and this absolute blockade without like food, medication, etc. being allowed into an area in South Africa.
0: Tell me about the Freedom Flotilla Coalition.
2: The Freedom Flotilla Coalition formed in 2010 in an effort to try and break the siege by sea. This is after previous successful attempts by the Free Gaza Movement, who sent ships in 2008, but the ones that they sent in 2009 were blocked by the Israelis. So an international coalition was formed, and in May 2010 it sailed from Turkey, and maybe Cyprus as well, and was attacked on the 31st of May, with the result of nine activists killed and quite a few seriously wounded, and all the rest of the activists taken to Israel by force and then deported. It's composed of various campaigns from different countries all over the world, which are all dedicated to this protest against the blockade of Gaza and the attempts to draw world attention to the situation through this direct nonviolent action.
0: Zohar went on to talk about a number of the other missions launched by the Freedom Flotilla Coalition over the last number of years to attempt to break the siege of Gaza by sea. I went on to ask Wendy to talk about the Canadian participation in the Freedom Flotilla Coalition.
1: We established the Canadian Boat to Gaza campaign in 2010 as a direct response from what we had witnessed during CAS-led, the brutal murder and attack in Gaza of, I believe it's 1,500 people, many women and children. And we realized that through the Canadian government's complicity that we were becoming a part of that brutality that was inflicted on people who have no way to defend themselves by a government who is violating international law. This was during Stephen Harper's reign, and at that time, Canada was known as the most aligned government with Israel. That was very concerning for us, so people across Canada got together people who have been working in the Palestinian Solidarity Movement for many years, we decided that it was time for us to join the flotilla. Our first boat, called the Terrier, was captured, and participants on board were sent to prison in Israel before they were released. And still today, we're very concerned about our government and other governments around the world, their complicity in the abuses that are being inflicted on Palestinian people, and in particular people in Gaza. We feel that by not doing anything and not standing up, that we also are complicit in those war crimes. So we're very hopeful that our new government is going to take a different tack. There was a recent announcement that they may consider returning some funding through a project called UNRWA, which provides humanitarian aid. So we're hopeful that that's a good step in the right direction. Ultimately, our goal is to end the siege and blockade and allow the right of return and freedom for all Palestinian people. So humanitarian aid is important, but it's not the goal of the Freedom Flotilla Coalition, and it's not ultimately what we'd like to see as the end result. So in terms of Canadian participation, we have people from coast to coast working on this. It's a very strong movement in Canada.
0: So you say that you're hopeful that there is room for the new Liberal government to make some changes in terms of this issue. But just recently, the Liberals voted in favour of a Conservative motion condemning Canadians who participate in the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions campaign. Does that concern you?
1: Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up because obviously that's a great concern for us. Prime Minister Trudeau has not been in power for very long, and a common comment I hear is give him time, but there are some non-negotiables, and we're talking about humanitarian issues here. People are dying daily in Gaza and in the settlements as a direct result of Israel's violations of human rights and abuses, and our government's support of those. So yes, I think that it's going to be really important for us to keep the heat on our current government, ask the difficult questions, and make sure that they're aware that we exist. And as you know, we also are contending with Bill C-51, which has the ability to restrict freedom of speech, in particular with respect to activist actions, so we're going to be watching that very closely as well.
0: Where did the idea of doing a women's boat to Gaza come from, and why is it politically significant?
1: While Canada was participating in the international coalition and we were planning for a mission, some women got together and discussed various tactics that were being used and the IOF, the Israeli Offense Force, the way they respond to individuals when they encounter them on our peaceful, nonviolent missions. And we felt that it would be very good strategically to confront them in a way that they were not used to being confronted so that Just the actual image of the IOF boarding a boat full of women who were peacefully on their way to Gaza and the optics that that would create for them and shift the discourse. And as we discussed it further and the idea was developed through the coalition, we also talked about the importance of really highlighting the issues that Palestinian women are facing every day and also the hope and resilience that they show. So we wanted to bring awareness and attention to that through this project. For South Africans, this is a
3: very exciting project, specifically because this year marks the 60th anniversary of the Women's March to the Union Buildings, when in 1956, 20,000 women took to the streets of Johannesburg, marched all the way to Pretoria, and left petitions outside the Prime Minister's office saying that they should not have to carry passes, which is like an internal passport that black people had to carry under the government's Population Registration Act. And it was one of the greatest marches in our history. And the woman left bundles of petitions, more than a 100,000 signatures. That's where the famous South African phrase, you strike a woman, you strike a rock, was coined. So for us, this is a wonderful project for the year as a commemoration of this event that South African women undertook to change
2: the regime. It only materialized in our efforts to try and have more women delegates participating in this because actually we had pretty imbalanced participation. So I wasn't really sure how we could use this, but we've been working for six years nearly and some people find it hard to keep the attention of the media going One of our main objectives is to draw attention, world attention to this. And if we can't get the media to cover us, then it's really difficult. By expanding our support base through contacting women organizations, we give this project a new dimension that could be really, really exciting. For us here in Spain, it's very important to try and show the strength of the Palestinian women and their role in the resistance, which is on all of the spectrum of ways of resistance. There were Palestinian women who participated in the armed struggle. But, of course, this is not the main thing that we think, and this is not the general The general is the everyday women who show us by their own example how the mere fact of survival is a challenge to the Israeli occupation. We have women in Gaza who, you know, a woman who is a fisherwoman. And she's an example because she's challenging not only the blockade by going out with her boat, but also the stereotype of, you know, the fishing is only done by men or a disabled woman who is struggling to have her own business, or the women who who form cooperatives to do traditional embroidery and sell it, despite all the difficulties put on by the occupation, and by the blockade. And we think these examples also speak to women all over the world. Historically, women's contributions to struggles have generally been downplayed.
3: And it's not often that there is such a commitment to tell women's stories, especially when it comes to resistance. And I think this will be a great contribution to that area of storytelling and of telling women's histories of resistance from around the world.
0: And Wendy, as you've approached feminist organizations in Canada about supporting the women's boat to Gaza, what kinds of reactions have you had?
1: We've been reaching out to many women's organizations across the country asking for support and endorsement, especially leading up to International Women's Day. We're very happy to announce that the Fédération de Femmes Quebec has offered their endorsement of our project most recently. However, there's also a bit of hesitation in general, I think, when we speak about the Palestine-Israel, as Zohar said, quote-unquote, conflict because it in many ways is very removed from the mainstream person's daily psyche. Our media does a terrible job covering it. It's very unbalanced coverage for the most part. I think that that influences people's willingness and ability to respond. It's still full of a lot of political conflict for people. So that's a struggle, and I think it's also, as we said before, part of what we're trying to do through all of our actions, to raise awareness and educate people about the realities of what life is like in Gaza and in Palestine, and our Canadian government's role in supporting Israel to perpetuate this. So, for International Women's Day, we're connecting with various International Women's Day activities across the country. Some are interested in promoting our message, and others say no thank you.
0: So from what I understand, you're all very busy these days, having lots and lots of Skype meetings to plan logistics, to raise funds to buy a boat, to figure out who the delegates on the boat will be, and so on. And the idea is that the women's boat will sail in the fall. You're publicly launching the campaign on International
2: Women's Day, March 8th. What are the plans for the launch? we plan to have a face-to-face meeting. We have these every now and then because Skype is not enough. Sometimes we need intensive time together to thoroughly discuss things. So we plan this meeting for the 6th and 7th of March in Sicily. And then we will use this opportunity as it is very close to International Women's Day, the 8th of March, to participate in some local events and hopefully have an event of our own there as well to present publicly this mission to launch the website simultaneously all over the world so people could follow us also on the internet through social media etc. We
1: chose International Women's Day specifically because International Women's Day started in the early 1900s with labor movements in North America and Europe Some of the issues that they followed were demanding the right to work, the right to vote, and to protest war. And International Women's Day over the years has become a common rallying point to build support for women's rights and participation, both politically and economically. And it's an opportunity to call for change and to celebrate acts of courage and determination by ordinary women who have played an extraordinary role in the history of their countries and communities. So we wanted to highlight the significance of our mission with the historical context of International Women's Day. We are working as closely as possible with women's organizations and groups within Gaza and Palestine to coordinate our efforts and to also make sure that the messages that we are sending are the messages that they want to be sent and heard To uh, the rest of the world. To get information, go to freedomflotilla.org. That's where you'll find all of the latest information about our events. And there you can also click on different countries to see what their involvement is and what might be happening in their particular communities. Of course, it's very important right now to fundraise and make sure that we can fund this mission. For those of you listening in Canada, the donation site is canadaboatgaza.org. You can find out more about the events that are happening in cities and communities across the country and find ways to get involved. And again, remember that silence is complicity. So if this issue speaks to you at all, that now is the time to really get involved and speak up. When it came to South Africa, the international solidarity movement was
3: one of the big game changers. By supporting the women's boat to Gaza and by supporting international efforts which speak for the rights of the Palestinian people, it's important because this could be the action that finally gives the final push. It took many, many decades for something to happen in South Africa. And Palestinians have lived under the most dire situations for many decades. And let's hope that a greater international push will end the occupation.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Zohar Chamberlain-Regev, Shabnam Mayat, and Wendy Goldsmith about the Women's Boat to Gaza campaign. To learn more about the international level of the campaign, go to freedomflotilla.org, and to learn more about Canadian participation, go to canadaboatgaza.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows,